So today I'm going to start a new series on Abraham since it's Father's Day. This fit with the Father's Day theme. So we're going to start a new series. The series will be entitled Surrendering to the Unknown. Next week we will finish the Daniel series. We have one message left in Daniel. I was going to push that into a Father's Day theme, but I said, I don't know. I think this fits better for Father's Day. Abraham is the father of of the faithful, right? So today I want to speak from the first few verses of, of, of Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 7, how to bring blessing to the world. Never has family been more important than it is today. Never has Father's Day been more important to the life of this nation than it is in 2021. We need fathers more than ever. Godly fathers, courageous fathers, fearless fathers, manly fathers. In a culture where men are being recruited to change their gender and become women, we need men who know who they are, and embrace their masculinity as men of God. In a culture that mocks manhood, we even hear this phrase, you know, toxic masculinity. Now I'm not saying that men can't be jerks. <laughs> they can be at times. We can. I put myself in that mix. But we need manly men, masculine men, as my voice squeaks. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast and it talked about testosterone levels in men. In World War II, men had 2,500 level of testosterone. Today it's between four and 500. Remember a few years ago, I went to a Christian campus and it just seemed like a number of the men had this femininity about them. And I, I talked to someone else on the staff, and I said, it just seemed like, you know, there's, that the men seem like there's a femininity. Am I imagining this? He said, no. It's, it's common today. We need men today. And we need men who will bring blessing to this world, like Abraham did. And that's the message today. We need fathers, and this is a message for all of us, ladies, single, married, whoever. How can you live to bring blessing to this world? Abraham tells us how. Now, this passage is one of the most important in all of Scripture. In a sense, it lays the foundation for what would become the nation of Israel. And it lays the foundation as well of the seed of the woman through whom the world will be saved, is going to come through this man that God calls out of the Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham. Very important passage of Scripture because this passage and the call of Abraham sets in clear motion the coming of the Messiah through Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and then through the tribe of Judah. I'm going to read the first three verses again, and I'm going to ask you a question as we read, read this. There's two commands in this passage. The first one is pretty obvious. It's in verse 1. I'm going to tell you where the first command is. But there's a second command. 
And it's kind of hiding there in the trees. See if you could find the second command. Let's read Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Do you see the second command? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day now, O Lord. Thank you for your command that you give to Abraham. And Lord, help us to embrace this command for our own lives, our own families today. We pray you'll challenge us all to bring blessing even to the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first command is clear, and it's get out, Abraham. Get out of your country. Now, by the way, I realize his name at this point is still Abram, but we know him as Abraham. So I'm going to probably refer to him as Abraham, okay? When I read the text and it's Abram, I'll read Abram, but I'll just call him Abraham. That's the first command, but what's the second command? The second command is buried in the bottom of verse 2, and it's this. Thou shalt be a blessing. That has the force of a command. And frankly, I never saw it before. And when I don't see something and I see it, and then it just opens up the passage of Scripture to my heart, I get quite excited about the Bible on a weekly basis. (laughs) Amen? Thou shalt be a blessing. And then he gives him three more commands after that, where he says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So he says, Abram, thou shalt be a blessing. That's a command. Well, what does it mean? It kind of has a general nature, that word blessing. I think we lose the richness of that term. We say, Oh, the Lord has blessed me, you know, I got a car. Or, oh, that was a blessing. And we kind of use this word blessing in a very general sense. And and I understand that. But here I believe it has a specific meaning. And thou shalt be a blessing finds its true idea and truth in the coming of the Messiah. Abraham was going to live in such a way as to bring about the ultimate birth of the Messiah, the manifestation of Messiah Jesus Christ to the world, which will result in salvation. So only in the idea and in the truth of the Messiah does the depth of this word blessing display itself. Thou, he says to Abraham, shall be a blessing. And so what I'm saying is Abraham was going to live in such a way as to manifest and bring the Messiah into the world, which will result in all the families of the earth. It says in verse 3, being blessed. So this word blessing, I believe, relates first and foremost to salvation, to the messianic promise. And the result of that would be, of course, that Abraham will be fruitful. He will have children. That's part of the blessing. God gives children. That 
But that, but the, the blessing ultimately relates, I believe, the heart of the blessing relates to the messianic promise and then to the forgiveness of sins that will result, the salvation of the world, fellowship with God, eternal life, the blessing of eternal life. Thou shalt be a blessing. Now, he doesn't command Abraham to be a blessing until he promises him what? In verse number two also. And you see, the reason I've missed this, pro- this command, I believe, thou shalt be a blessing, is it's surrounded by promises. Promises are great trees of God's grace, you know. And in the midst of those trees of these great promises, he gives that other command. But as I understand this text, he gives a command, get out of your country. And with that command, then he gives three promises after that. So the command is get out of your country. Then the three promises are in verse 2. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. But he says, and thou shalt be a blessing. So before he commands Abraham to be a blessing, what does he promise Abraham? Blessing. He says, I will bless thee. So you see, you can't give what you don't have. He commands him to be a blessing because God will bless him. And I believe ultimately that's talking about salvation. And yea, the the seed of the Messiah will come forth from him. And the baby would be born through whom Jesus will enter the world. The other thing I want to say about this is can one man change the world? Can one man have a mighty influence on the whole world? Well, yes, (laughs) because here, what's the promise at the end of verse 3? He says, in thee shall all families of the earth be what? Blessed. And what's at the heart of that blessing? Jesus, the Messiah, and the salvation that he gives. In thee, all the families of the earth. What's he talking about there? Is it really all the families? Yeah. Because if you go back to chapter 10, and if you could do that for just a moment, here is a comprehensive list of the nations of the world after the flood. There are 70. It's called the Table of the Nations. It's the three sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And there are 70 different nations and families. And remember, God had divided the world. Why did he divide the world? Because they all wanted to come together, and they wanted to do what for themselves? Remember what it said in Genesis chapter 11? What did it say in verse 4 even? In Genesis 11 verse 4, it said, let us all come together, let us build a tower, and we will make a what? Name for ourselves. We want to be famous. That's the desire of the world. We want to be famous. They want to be famous. God divided their intention, divided them into different nations. And so what is God? God's coming to Abraham and saying, I'm going to make you famous. You don't have to strive for fame. I will do it for you. I will bless you. But in Genesis chapter 10, look at verse 5. It says, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. Everyone after their Tongue, God divided the nations according to their language. That tongue means language. After their families and in their nations. That's how God divided 
the world because of their pride at the Tower of Babel. And that's repeated as well for each of the sons of Noah. But look down in verse 31 and verse 32 as this chapter concludes. And he goes through the different families and nations that they were divided into. And he says in verse 31, these are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. Verse 32. Can you read that verse with me? It says, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Now God is coming to Abraham and saying, all those families that the world has been divided into, every one of these families. And at this point, it's the, it's the whole world. So Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Indeed, all the families through the seed of Abraham, all these families referenced in Genesis chapter 10 will be blessed. So one man is going to change the world. He's going to change eternity. May God help us to bring blessing to the world like that. And it's the blessing of God and only the blessing of God that can unite this divided world that Abraham is living in. See, the world has been divided, but he says, indeed, all the nations, all the families will be blessed. You see, Jesus has come to unite the nations truly in him. So how did Father Abraham bring God's blessing to the world, and how can we? I have five things this morning, and the first thing is simply this. We have to surrender to the unknown. Surrender to the unknown. In verses 1 and 2, the Lord said, had said unto Abram, get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. When God says get, get, God, then get. When he says go, then go, obey. And Abraham has to surrender to the unknown because there were unknown risks. There were unanswered questions. There was an uncertain future. When God said go to Abraham, did he answer all his questions? No. I'm sure Abraham had a lot of questions like, where am I going? I'll let you know. When will we get there? Isn't that what all the kids would want to ask? I'll let you know. How will I know when I've gotten there? <laughs> I'll let you know. So Abraham probably had a lot of these questions and even more than that. God doesn't answer his questions. He gives him promises. And it's better to hold on to the promise of God than an understanding and an explanation of things. So at this point, when God told Abraham, get out of thy country, because it said, notice verse 1 carefully, it says, now the Lord had said unto Abram. And that's very interesting. Get thee out of thy country. Where was Abram when God said that? He was in the Ur of the Chaldees. He was steeped in the idolatry that was there along with his family. Now maybe he knew about the true and living God, but he wasn't a worshiper only of the, the true living God of creation. God is calling him. And in this call, I believe, is salvation as he finds true life in the true living God. So he's calling Abraham out of the idolatry of the earth, the Chaldees. And we know this 
especially from Acts chapter 7, where it says, see we can see that verse. And he said, this is uh, Acts 7. Remember who's speaking in Acts 7? It's Stephen giving his sermon here. And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. That's Haran by the Haran. And he said, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred unto the land which I will show thee. So what exactly is going on? And this is important, I believe. Look back in your Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 11. Just the verses right before what we're considering. The last number of verses here, verse 27, gives the generations of Terah. Now, Terah was the father of Abraham. And Terah had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. Now, he introduces Lot to us because, and actually he's introducing a lot of themes in this passage that will have a lot of, impact later on, right? Because we're going to hear a lot about Lot later on, right? And then it says in verse 28, Haran died before his father Terah. So that was the father of Lot. So Lot doesn't have a father. So Abraham might feel a responsibility to take in Lot. Is that going to cause problems for Abraham? Yes. So then it says, and Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Now, then he says, but Sarah was barren. Also a very important theme throughout the chapters ahead. She had no child. Now, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. They went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. Now, we'll say more about this in a moment. But God had told Abram to get out of his country to a land that he showed him. God commanded, the the God of glory appeared to Abraham before he dwelt in Haran. Right? So God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Here's the map. I'll have to just do it on my screen here. Here's the Ur of the Chaldees in Babylon. God called Abraham, but who did he go with? Who seems like they're leading the venture? In verse 31, it says, Terah took Abraham his son and Lot. God called Abraham, but his father's like, hey, we'll go with you. Lot, I'll go too. Who did God tell Abraham to go with? Hmm. So they left Ur, and God said to a land that I will show thee, but they made it as far as where? Haran, right here. They didn't get to Canaan. See, look again at verse 31. It says, Terah took Abraham, his son, Lot, the son of Haran, Sarah, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees. That's where the call came. To go where? Into Canaan. But they came to where? Haran. And they they did what? They, They stayed there. 
Why? Verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So when Terah died, the text of chapter 12 is, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country. That's the Ur of the Chaldees. It's not Haran. And from your father's house to a land that I will show thee. As I read this, I read it this way. Terah brought Abraham to a land that Terah showed him. It wasn't where God had ultimately wanted him to go. God wanted him to go into Canaan. But Terah led him to Haran, and they seemed like they got stuck there. But get out of your country. That's the command. He did leave. There was obedience, but there was also a mixture of other questionable decisions, as such as life. <laughs> okay. So moving on to the next point, and tying that in with what I've said, we must beware of compromise. We must beware of compromise. Now, Abraham's first steps of faith did have obedience. God said, get out of thy country. He did that. But did he leave his kindred? He went with his father. He went with Lot. Unto a land that I will show thee. Did he fully do that? He had only got to Haran. So these were the baby steps of faith. When someone is saved, it's not like they're perfect right away. They have to grow spiritually. And Abraham does become more obedient throughout his life. But his life teaches us this. Beware. People will seek to get you to compromise your faith. Go to God. Go to his word. Obey the Lord. Don't obey your family. First, obey God. Sometimes we have to break with our family to obey God. Now, the Lord says, get away from, get, get from your kindred. How come? Because his kindred maybe was that steeped in idolatry. God knew their heart. God knew what was best for Abraham. Now, let me say this quickly. Family is very important. Your mom and dad are very important to you, and they should be. Never let your parents not be important to you. The Bible says, honor your father and mother, and that goes for as long as you live and they are alive. Honor them. Now, that doesn't mean you, as you grow into adulthood, that you have to obey them in every situation, but it means you respect them, you honor them, you're thankful for them, Whatever they have done, whatever mistakes they have made, honor them. Be thankful to God for them. Because of your mom and dad, you're here. <laughs> whatever other mistakes they may have made, you're here because of them. Be thankful for them. And have a relationship with them. And don't separate yourself from your parents in the sense of having a relationship with them. But on the other hand, sometimes when we become saved and dedicated to the Lord, 
and you become a new person in Jesus Christ. You become this kind of person, you're like, wait a minute, I don't like this new person you've become. So straight and narrow, going to church all the time, reading your Bible. I had a precious family member say, all you do is read your Bible now that you're saved and go to church. I said, that's not all I do. I witness also. <laughs> and pray. It's a balanced Christian life. <laughs> Some of my family members, quite honestly, would love for me to compromise and even go away from my faith and go back to the drinking and to the hanging out and to the loose lips and cursing along with them or whatever. They wouldn't mind if I did that, my family. But I must serve God and obey God and please God and do the will of God first. We love our family. But sometimes it is your family. And sometimes it is those best friends you had in that past life that will try to hold you back from serving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like an example, if I just give this as an example, and I've seen this in, it's over time, that when a, let's say, a, a young couple becomes saved, and they're out of a Roman Catholic background, and they have a child, their parents, the grandparents of their child, will naturally want them to bring their child where? Back to the Catholic Church, to have their baby immersed, or, or baptized, sprinkled, to have their sins taken away in the Catholic Church. And I have had to counsel sometimes these young families. You honor your parents, but at this point, that's your child. And you have to do what you believe is right. And it's not right to bring that child back to the Catholic Church for baptism because it's with a false understanding of what baptism is. We have to obey God. So beware of compromise. And it could be, as I read this text, that Abraham allowed his father to compromise full obedience to the Lord. Because down in verse 4 it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He departed from where? Haran. As the Lord had spoken unto him. So beware of compromise. Don't be afraid of the unknowns. You know, and, and can I also say, just generally speaking, to dads raising their children for the Lord, raise boys who will become men, and raise girls who will become women. Help them to understand how they have been made. Dads, give your children that godly example that they will know that you're a man and your wife is a woman and God made them male or female. Read the Bible with your children. Teach your boys how to become a man. Play some ball with them. Take them fishing. Do whatever you like to do. Maybe things your father did with you. Do with them. Get them to exercise. Give them a job to do. 
men are not going to, boys are not going to become men if we just sit them in front of a television or put a, a, a tablet in their hand and they sit there playing video games for hours and hours. Give them a, cho- a job, a chore. And I know in urban life it's sometimes hard to get children out the door and outside running around and playing. But that's what children need. Get them, get them exercising. Get them using their bodies, using their minds, teaching them discipline, teaching them responsibility. Avoid obesity in your life and in the life of your children because obesity just ruins our energy for God. And the testosterone in a man is eaten up with the fat. I mean, we've got to overcome. We've got to be strong. We've got to teach our children to be strong. Beware of compromise of this world. The third thing, and as I said, herein lies one of the most common ways we compromise. We live to please our family or friends rather than God. The third thing is this. We need to maintain a pilgrim's heart. So Abraham departed, it says in verse 4. He was a pilgrim. Abraham's journey is marked with a tent in verse number 8, where it says he pitched his tent. Hebrews chapter 9 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with te- and tents with Isaac and Jacob. Now, I don't know if you like to live in a tent, maybe just on vacation, you know. But they lived in tents, a sojourn life, a pilgrim life, a traveler. He knew this world was not his home, and that's the point. We need to know as we wake up in the morning that this life is very brief. How long are you going to be here? 70, 80, 90 years? Oh, he's old. He's 100 years old. That's old, right? How long, if you're saved, will you be in heaven? 100? That's like not even a grain of sand of time, the, of the sands of time. Eternity will be ours in heaven. We're just passing through this world. So don't get overloaded with things. Money makes to itself wings, and things do have wings and can quickly be gone. We're just travelers. Remember, it's like if you were going to go camping, you don't say, did you bring the dishwasher? <laughs> You leave that at home, right? And maybe you'll leave the dishwasher at home, and then you do the dishes when you're camping. You ever go camping and do the dishes? You got the different, you got the different bins. You got the soapy water bin, and you got the, the fresh water where you rinse the soapy water off, right? And we used to do this when we would go camping, and, and one night my brother and I would do the dishes, and the next night my sisters would do the dishes, and the third night I'd say, Dad, it's your turn, you know, or whatever, you know. But we would share, and we would have our responsibilities, and we would have our chores to do. And so when you have a pilgrim's heart, you put up with inconveniences. You know one of the ways we show we're living a pilgrim's life? We do what you're doing. We do what you're doing on Zoom, too. And that is you go to church. Because this takes faith. Giving this, these few hours it takes for you to get ready and travel to a church and then go home. And it takes a significant number of hours just to be here for maybe an hour and a half. But then you have to sometimes readjust what you do on Saturday to be here on Sunday. 
you have to then readjust. It is kind of like domino effect. Oh, I have to readjust what I do on Saturday. So that might readjust things you do on Friday so that you could do what you need to do on Saturday. So you could come to church on Sunday. Faithfully coming to church is not a small thing. It's a huge decision to faithfully come to church. It's a rearrangement of life and of your schedule. So I commend you. I encourage you. This is important, though, to be together, to be in the house of God. You know, to me, it's amazing. The people I've met over the years that I would not have known if it wasn't for the church of Jesus Christ, both in the city here and you. Thank God, you know, church is a beautiful thing. We get to be with people from birth till death and help them to the best of our feeble ability with everything in between. So we don't strive on Sunday to go to beaches and to go to amusement parks and to go to movies and to go for sports. I don't go to Met games. I barely go, like maybe once every five years. But I wouldn't go on Sunday. Never. Oh, it's a beautiful Sunday. Let's go to the beach. No. Go to church. Amen? I'm a pilgrim. I have a pilgrim's heart. I'm traveling through. So Abraham's journey was marked by a tent. Shows him to be a stranger and a pilgrim. He sojourned in the land of promise, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. Number four, live counterculturally. What I mean by this is he departed and he took Sarah. And then again in verse 5, he says it took Lot, his brother's son. So he still has that, you know, the family holding on to him. It's going to create a lot of problems for him. It's going to get him into war. It's going to get him into conflict and so forth. We'll come to that. But look what it says in verse 6. And I have the wrong verse here. It should be verse 6. Live counterculturally. Don't live according to the world. Now, here's Abram. He's in Ur, and God's going to call him into the, in Canaan. Now, who, who lives in Canaan at this time? You know who lives there? Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. But he doesn't meet Melchizedek right away. Here, the writer of the book of Genesis, who is who? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. And where was Moses more than likely when he was writing the book of Genesis? He was with Israel through the wilderness. Look what it says. Who did Abram meet, if, in a sense, as he passed into Canaan? It says in verse 6, And Abraham passed through the land into the place of Shechem, or Sychem, into the plain of Mori, and the Canaanite was then in the land. So Israel was walking through the wilderness. Moses was writing and teaching this to Israel. Who was Israel going to face when they went into the land of promise? The Canaanite still, right? And where was one of the first places after they won some battles? Where was Israel going to go? To this very same spot mentioned as the first place where Abraham goes in the land of Canaan, Shechem. And remember what was in between Shechem? Shechem was in between. Shechem was in between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And the nation was going to stand some on that side, some on this side of the mountain on Ebal and Gerizim, and they were going to read the what? The blessings and the cursings of the word of God because they were in this land. And they didn't want the cursings. They wanted the blessings. And if we want the blessings, 
and not to cursings. You can't live according to the way of the Canaanites. Canaanites are in the land. Canaanites were idolatrous, immoral, full of wicked immorality. They would put their children, they would kill their babies, abort their babies, in a sense, through the fire. They would go to temple prostitutes as an act of religion. It was wicked. They put themselves first. It was pleasure-driven. Prosperity was the, the goal. The Canaanite was in the land. And God sends Abraham there. Not a safe place. We hear about this today, you know, when there's some kind of conflict with people. They say, I need a safe space. You hear that expression, right? Safe spaces. Well, God is not calling Abraham to a safe space. This life, this world, if you want to live for God, it's a place that requires courage and fearlessness. This isn't a safe space for us to live for Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross for us. It wasn't a safe space. He took on the, the battles and the warfare of Satan and all his demons as the sins, our sins, your sins were upon Jesus. We've got to stand up and be strong and live counterculturally. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The world's never a place to compromise with. Friendship with the world is hatred with God. You have to live counter-culturally. Counter-cultural. Wow. So this week I, I saw this article. It was in Vogue magazine. The article was entitled, Is Having a Baby in 2021 Pure Environmental Vandalism? Environmental Vandalism. Now, you, you've heard of Vogue magazine, right? This is like American magazine, a lot of people reading it. And this is what they're getting. The author debated with herself whether it was ecologically responsible to have a child, <coughs> excuse me, in this current climate emergency. Of course, climate change is an existential threat that's going to threaten all of our existence. That's the fear mongering going on out there. And the, and the writer said, the declining health of the planet may not be able to endure my child. Huh? The declining health? Of the, I woke up this morning, I said, wow, the air smells great. Cool, crisp June morning after a little rain yesterday, right? Wasn't it a beautiful morning? The declining health of our planet may not be able to endure that child. How dare you think about having a child? You should be guilty for thinking such a thing. And it's not ecologically responsible. So she's having this debate with herself. If I have a child, what if we run out of fresh water? <laughs> this is the fear that this world lives in. We need to live countercultural. We need to pray for these people and share the gospel with them. And of course we all want a beautiful world with clean air and fresh water. I, I think I, there's a lot of water still on earth. I just went to BJ's. There was, they didn't have any shortage of bottled water yet, you know. But we, we live countercultural, amen? The fifth thing is this. People are still coming to church. It says admit. Okay, we'll admit them. <laughs> you probably already did. 
be on time for church, dear friends. Okay, maybe you came to another service. I don't know. I'm just teasing. We do need to be on time, though. It could be. It could be somebody who just got home from the first service. Never know. I should shut my big mouth, right? Yes. Stick with the notes, preacher. (laughs) But no, seriously, through life, some people are always early. And some people are always, why is that? (laughs) You know what we should actually plan on being? What should we plan on being? Early. How much early? Like, I'm not saying you come 30 minutes early, but you know what? Maybe the garbage needs to be bagged and thrown out. Maybe there's a job you could do. Maybe maybe something happened in the bathroom during services. Oh, we need somebody. Maybe. You never know. So coming early, you might find the opportunity of ministry. That's a good thing. But you should, you should, I believe we should plan to be early. Now, you know how you do that? You know how you plan to be early? You wake up early. And you have margin Set margin. Margin is good. It, it actually takes stress out of life, you know, where you have, like, you, you leave early so that you're not in a rush. Because you know what really stresses you out is, like, when you're, you're running around, you know, and you don't have any time, and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to be late. And then you're driving there, and you're, like, all harried. And how, how many have ever been there? You've been there, and I have. I think we all have. Don't live like that, though. I saw you pointing... Okay, not you though. No, no, not you. No. But margin, I, I found, especially as I get older, you know, like when I go to the train, for example, if I just leave five minutes before I normally leave, I don't have to run, which I sometimes running, although running's not a bad thing for me at my age, you know. But be on time. Okay. Make worship my priority is the, is the fifth thing here. Who wants to worship a dead idol? After you have heard and met the living God. The God of glory appeared to Abraham in the Ur of the Chaldees. He spoke to him. And now in verse 7 it says, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. That was in Shechem. And then it says, He moved from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Having Bethel on the west, Hai on the east. Now, Bethel also plays an important part in Jewish history, right? That's where Jacob laid his head on a pillow and had the vision of the angels ascending on descending on the ladder, which is Jesus, the way to heaven. But here Abraham is in Bethel, and it says, There he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. That's what we need to do. Listen, in life you're going to move. Wherever you move, wherever you go, build an altar. Build an altar into your house where you seek God yourself and you pray and you read the Bible. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and it was about masculinity, and it was really good. I, some of the things I've said here even today about the testosterone and things that were said by a doctor on this particular podcast. And I didn't know whether he was a Christian or not, but he was giving good information as a medical doctor about men being men and so forth. But then the, the interviewer asked him, he says, well, what do you do to ease stress in your life? So here's a doctor who's written like 50 books, 
been a doctor for many years to try to help people overcome stress. You know what he said? The first thing he said to ease stress in his life, I read the Bible every morning for 30 minutes. I, put, I don't watch the news. I turn off the news. Forget about all that. That's just full, put stress in your life. I read the Bible. I was like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go to the doctor. I'll tell you for free. Read the Bible for 30 minutes a day. Build an altar in your personal life. Build an altar in your family life. And build an altar in your church life. So that when you come to church, we're here as worshipers. We're here to fellowship for sure. So that when we leave, we're not just running out the door. We're greeting each other and we're friendly. But we're here to worship God and say, thank you, Lord. And I, I will just say this as I close today. This coming Wednesday, we're going to have a sweet hour of prayer to worship God. And we're going to pray for an hour. We're going to have a very brief three-minute message, and then we're going to pray from about 7.35 till about 8.35, and we're going to break it up in a certain way that I believe will be very encouraging. Because when was the last time you prayed for a straight hour in your own personal life? Hmm, it's been a while. I confess, I don't pray for a straight hour every day in my personal devotional life. But we have the song, sweet hour of prayer, sweet. We, we sing that song sometimes. It's like, oh, yeah, I do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> sweet hour of prayer. I don't, I don't even know. Oh, what's that like? Never. Maybe you never did it. That's okay. Come this Wednesday and learn how to do it. And then maybe you could take it back home into your own personal devotions and make worship a priority in your life. So as I close, go to Joshua chapter 24, and we'll close today and read in Joshua chapter 24, where Joshua is recounting Israel's history as they are in the land. Enemies have been defeated to the north and to the central and southern regions. He gathers Israel together. Guess where he gathers them in Joshua chapter 24, verse 1? The first place where Abraham went in his journey into Canaan. It says, and Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, right there. And he said, in verse 2, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood of old, in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And then if you skip down with me, please, to verse 14 and 15, he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, Joshua 24, verse 14. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom he will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the, uh, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. Stop right there. Joshua's giving them four choices. You can serve the gods that Abraham and his family served back in the era of the Chaldees. Or you can serve the gods of the Egyptians, because remember, he's talking to a generation that had, the, the generation after had come out of Egypt, and some of them brought the Egyptian gods with them. 
You can serve those gods in Egypt. Or now you're in a new land. There's new gods here. You could serve these gods. That's three of the choices. Or you can serve the Lord. Yahweh, the eternal creator God who loves your soul, who's going to send the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross for your sin and rise again so that you could be blessed and be a blessing to the whole world. So Joshua concludes this, and you know the statement, and it's in many homes. Maybe it's in yours. Let's say it together as we close Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May so it be. Let's stand together as we pray. And if, yes, Eunice, you can please come. Let's stand together and let's pray. Even at home on Zoom, if you want to stand, just bow your heads with me at this time and say, Lord God, thank you for your blessing of salvation. Help me to be a blessing to my family and my friends and my church and to the world. Help me to bring your blessings to the world by surrendering to the unknown, to take those risks. Help me to beware of the compromises that would try to short-circuit my faith and sidetrack me from serving you. Help me to maintain. Make this your prayer. Lord, help me to maintain a pilgrim's heart that I'm just traveling through this life. For things have wings. I'll leave everything behind. Help me to look forward to your kingdom. Lord, help me to live counterculturally. Make it your prayer right now. Dear God, may I not love this present world filled with lust and pride and idolatry and immorality. I claim you, Lord Jesus, as my God and Savior. Make this your prayer. Dear Lord, help me to make worship a priority. Forgive my prayerlessness. Teach me to pray. Help me to build an altar in my personal life, my family life. And when I come into this church, to be ever in prayer. Yes, Lord, help us to be that shining light. When John heard your voice, he turned around. And he saw the seven churches flaming, exploding with light. Help us to be a light as we serve you, Lord. Make us a light in our city and help us to bring blessing to the world. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not a Christian. I need Jesus today to save me from my sin. I need the blessing of salvation. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, was buried and rose again. And I need to trust him today as my savior. Is there anyone like that? Just put your hand up. Is there anyone who's not saved? You say, if I die today, I don't know whether I'd go to heaven. I know I'd not go to heaven. I want to know how I can go to heaven. Help me to know that. Is there anyone like that? You need that? Just put your hand up. Thank you, Lord. 
Conquerors in Jesus is who we are. Help us to live it out now in Jesus' name. Amen.